We're going to be reading from Philippians chapter 4, and we're going to be reading verses 6 through 7. So if you want to follow along, this is what Scripture says. Paul writes, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Paul packs so much into this small portion of scripture, just a couple of sentences here, but over the next three sessions, we're going to kind of unpack this, and I want to talk to you about a few different ways that God has called us to manage our thought life and how we pray and how we act in order to subdue anxieties and fears, those types of things in our life. If you're a parent or a grandparent, uh, you know that there is nothing worse than getting a phone call uh, from a police officer or from a paramedic that your child has uh, been hurt in some way. Um, That's really a devastating phone call. A couple of weeks ago, my niece, her name is Taylor, uh, she is 23, and her boyfriend, Dakota, uh, he's about the same age, they had left a Sunday night uh, life group, and they were going, of all places, they stopped at a Whataburger to grab food, and as they left Whataburger, uh, they pulled out into the road, and there was an enormous box truck that ran through a red light and plowed into them. I have a couple photos, I think, of them. This was the aftermath of what their vehicle looked like. Um, I have a lot of other photos. We'll just save uh, uh, those for later. Um, And then I have a photo of them as they were in recovery. Uh, This is Taylor and Dakota. Uh, they were they were pretty pitiful. Uh, the box truck basically plowed into them, and it it went over on top of the car. When they got to my niece, part of her, her the upper part of her body was out of the car, and she was kind of pinned between the box truck and the pavement. And so they had to get the jaws of life and and cut them out and everything. They didn't remember what had happened in the accident, uh, but it's absolutely horrific. Taylor, she had um, she has two ligaments that are torn in her spinal column. She had a slight uh, fracture in her spine. She had a broken hand. Uh, Her boyfriend, Dakota, though, he was banged up pretty bad. He had a spinal fracture, uh, six broken ribs. His nose was broken. His eye socket was broken. They had to do reconstructive surgery. His left arm and his left leg uh, were both broken. Uh, His his left arm was actually shattered. The one was shattered in, in a few places. And thankfully, they recovered, and, and they are alive, and they are, they are in, in recovery. It'll be several months, but I thank God that they are able to do that. But as a parent, you know, you get a phone call like that, and it's devastating, or even phone calls that are worse than that, that so many parents have had to go through. And the reality is this for all of us, myself included, there are things like that that happen in life. And sometimes they can't be avoided. They are just things that happen in life. And if we're not careful, we can begin to obsess over those types of potential scenarios in our mind 
where it creates a heightened sense of anxiety or worry or fraught. Um, these types of things can really rob us of not only the peace of God, but the joy of God as we walk out this Christian life. I remember when uh, I was being raised in the 80s, for whatever reason, there was this, um, this moment in American history where it seemed like children being kidnapped or taking from, taken from their parents, it was like at an all-time high. And I remember, you know, parents were so guarded and protective and they always wanted eyes on you. And, you know, stores had all these security measures in place so that children couldn't get taken. And, and that's a reality. There, there are children that, are, that have always been kidnapped throughout history. But I remember growing up and there was this, there was a, a very specific fear of being taken from my parents. And I think parents had a very specific fear of that. And I begin, you know, as an adult, I begin to wonder, well, why was it such a heightened thing then, at least in our minds, but over the last 30 years, we're aware that it's there, but we're not just hyper aware, even with things like human trafficking and uh, things of that nature. And the reality is this, is that it was so heightened in the 80s, number one, because those things were happening, but probably more than that, it was so alive in our minds because the media, news outlets, conversations that we were having with other people, they were bringing all these things and they were planting these things in our minds. And even though statistically it probably wasn't any different than any other generation uh, for, for kidnapping, for us growing up in that era, it was heightened and it was alive. Today as we live, um, there are certain things that, that exist like that. It's partly due to the globalization of the world. We are now aware of all the horrific things that can happen all over the world. And we're constantly inundated through social media, through news outlets, on so many different levels. We are inundated with these fears of potential things that could happen to us or loved ones or whatever the case may be. And so, um, you know, since 2020, there is this heightened state of fear and anxiety and worry that is really crippling a lot of people uh, in their lives. I had lunch with a friend a couple of weeks ago and they were telling me uh, about a story uh, they had read in a book where uh, a real life, an astronaut, he had, he had gone up into space and he was able to see the world uh, all at one time, you know, he was far enough away that he could see anything. And he talked about the glory of it and how beautiful and majestic it was. But he made a statement that was reminiscent of this. He basically said, I don't think humans were ever supposed to see this much of the earth at one time. And when I thought about that, you know, this guy is so overwhelmed by the beauty of seeing the, the whole earth. He was overwhelmed with the glory of it all that he said, man, I don't even feel like I'm supposed to be seeing all this goodness. Well, we live in a world that is kind of the opposite. We're seeing the world through all of these different outlets, but we're, only, we're not seeing the glory of the world. We're seeing the wickedness of the world. We're seeing all the bad things of the world. And so it's constantly this type of thing. And I would echo what the spaceman said. He said, I don't think we were ever intended to see so much of the world at all at the same time. 
And I really don't think we were intended to absorb so much negativity and so much uh, fear-provoking thoughts and, and different things like that. And I think it has had a drastic impact on the way that we do life and, and especially our thought life. There is an overindulgence in this type of thinking, okay? Now, there is a reality bad things happen, right? You remember Jesus' statement in John 16. He said, in this world, you will have trouble, okay? For the Philippians, as Paul is writing here, um, you know, they, they were living in a world that wasn't really globalized. It was very localized. And so they were pretty much only aware of the things that were going on in their, their local, context, uh, local context or the surrounding cities. But even then, there was daily trouble for the Philippians. You know, uh, Philippians are really for most of human history, the number one objective for most people was survival. I need to find food to feed my children today. I need to live to see another day. Uh, for the Philippians, it was, it was very much the same thing. Not only did they have those types of big problems, life and death problems, but they had problems in the church. They had uh, problems we talked about a couple of sessions ago with Yudia and Syntyche that they were, there was interpersonal conflict and they were having these issues within the church. Uh, then they had, you know, false teachers that were trying to penetrate, you know, and, and provide false teaching and, and bad doctrine to the church. And then they had persecution that was, that was rampant all around in the kingdom and the empire in which they lived. And so Paul understood that, that the, the fears that these people are facing, the anxieties they have, they are very real and they are happening often, many of them, on a daily basis. And so what Paul was trying to do is he was trying to say, look, I understand that you have fear. I understand that you have worries, but God has a plan for you so that you don't have to live in this state, but you can possess a sense of joy and the peace of God that will surround your soul. And so Paul tells them, he says, don't be anxious about anything. Now, I want you to pause for just a second, and I want you to think, consider the top issues that you have worries or anxieties about, right? For many of us, it's, you know, paying our bills on time. Uh, for some of us, it's the future of the world. Everything just seems to be, you know, disintegrating in this moment. So we have fear about our lives or our children's lives. Um, some of us have health concerns, safety, just on and on and on. And Paul would look at us and he would say, listen, in all of that stuff, even though I realize that they are reality, okay, fear not. Don't be anxious about these things. Today, we are living in perilous times, which means that, as I said earlier, worry is on the rise. In uh, 2020 with COVID-19, uh, there have been studies done about the impact of you know, that year and a half to two years and the impact that they've had on the mental and emotional state of, of Americans and really people all, all around the world. But one of the studies that, that I read said that there was a 25% increase of people who had never struggled with anxiety or depression or worry. There was a 25% increase in people who had begun to experience those things. Now, 25% may not sound like a lot when you're talking about $1, but when you're talking about $330 million, 25% is a lot. 
And in the United States, with about 330 million people, 25% an increase on top of those who were already struggling, that means a significant portion of our nation is struggling in this way. And so it's important for us to understand that, that Paul wasn't one of those you know, uh, preachers that deny reality. They, he wasn't one of those that he looked at a person and they had a, you know, a broken arm and he would say, well, just, just don't say that you have a broken arm and you won't have a broken arm. He wasn't denying reality and he wasn't telling us to lack concern about things that have potential to be uh, harmful for us. But he was simply saying that we need to learn to manage our concerns manage our worries, manage our anxieties so that they don't become these things that overwhelm us and paralyze us like they are doing in the lives of so many different people. I look to the life of Jesus. He was a man who was at perfect peace. It seems that duress for, for Christ was always within arm reach. Whether you know, there, were, there were religious leaders trying to kill him or whether there were crowds that were pressing in on him or whether it was his agenda from the father where he was like, you know what, we can't stay in here anymore. We, we've got to go and the, the hustle and bustle of that. It seems like duress and stress was always within reach of Jesus, but it wasn't. He was, he was a man who was at perfect peace at all times even through extremely difficult and stressful moments. Part, I believe, of what caused the peace of God to rule and reign in the life of Jesus is what Paul said. Jesus's prayer life suffocated the disturbances that were trying to raise their head in his life. Time and time again, you see scripture say that, you know, after Jesus, there would be an event in Jesus's life that the Savior would remove himself and he would go and spend time in the Father's presence. Oftentimes the disciples, Jesus would show up in the morning and the disciples would say, where have you been? You know, this is going on and this is happening. And Jesus would say, I've been with my Father in his presence. And so like Paul is saying, uh, we see this made in the life of Jesus, that when anxieties abound, when worry seems to try to take over, that Jesus and Paul are both telling us, listen, if you will just go to the Lord in prayer, that the presence of God will suffocate all of these things that are attempting to overwhelm us and uh, overcome us. And the reality is this for all of us, that when we have certain fears or anxieties that are our instinct, our human nature, that survival instinct, it is not to rush to the Lord in prayer. Our instinct is to grab it and to hold it close. It's to, it's to protect, it's to work as we can and do what we can in the flesh, which needs to happen. But it doesn't need to happen in the flesh until we've taken it to the Lord in the spirit. And so Jesus teaches us this, Paul teaches us this, uh, and we see the, 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 the fruit of this type of thing. Um, as we go through the scriptures. Uh, Paul says that in every situation, you should not be anxious. Uh, there was a study done, uh, I read about, it was done about 15 years ago, but the study, they took 83 adults in China who were 60 years or older. They broke them up into three different groups 
and they had each group write notes to different types of people and with, with different themes. And in one of the groups, they had the group write notes of gratuity, where they were giving thanks. They were appreciating somebody who had done something in their life. And the other two groups, they had them write about things that were stressors in their life, things that were frustrating or they were worried about in the future. And so when both of these groups came together after their writing, immediately they were brought together and they were shown a video that was basically exposing the reality of the immediacy of death, that, you know, as they age, they're only 60, but as they age, that death becomes more of, of an awareness in your life and more of a probability in your life. And this was the result of this experiment. This is what uh, the paper said. At a neurobiological level, gratitude regulates the sympathetic nervous system that activates our anxiety responses. And at the psychological level, it conditions the brain to filter the negative ruminations and focus on the positive thoughts, okay? So this is what the study is saying in language that I can understand. They're saying that the same part, the same area of the brain that conjures up things like worry and anxieties is the same part of the brain that produces gratitude and thanksgiving. And what they're experimenting here, what they're detailing here, is that those people who focus on the things that they're thankful for, those who express gratitude to other people as a habitual practice in their life, what they're saying is that thanksgiving and gratitude had a way of chemically subduing negative ruminations and anxious thoughts in these people's lives. It was a fascinating study. I thought it was so well uh, carried out for us. But for us, what does that look like? What does it mean to be a person who thinks on good things, who gives thanksgiving as they pray? And so I just got three little steps for you I want to walk through with you for how this looks in reality. Number one is this. This means that as we go into prayer, we are really casting our cares on the Lord. You remember what the apostle, the apostle Peter wrote? He wrote, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. So this is the time where we are overwhelmed with burdens or anxieties or whatever the case, and we specifically come into the presence of the Lord, and we begin to lay those things one at a time at the feet of the cross. And we begin to say, Lord, I am just overwhelmed with worry about my children. God, I am so concerned about the health of my mother. God, I am so nervous that my job is going to lay me off. And just on and on and on, it's when we, we go to the Lord and we don't act like these things don't exist, but we don't just allow them to ruminate. We take them and we put them at the feet of Jesus. And we say, Lord, I'm casting all of this onto you. I'm specifically not just saying I'm overwhelmed but specifically going and saying, Father, this is what's bothering me right now. I need your presence. I need to hear your voice. I need to see what the Spirit has to say about this. So it looks like really casting our cares on the Lord. Number two, what it looks like is it means really giving thanks to the Lord. Okay, The psalmist wrote this, Let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things that God has done 
for me. And just like I said in the study a few minutes ago, Paul says, listen, with, in everything you do, with thanksgiving and in prayer, okay? So thanksgiving is an enormous part of this because not only in a spiritual sense does it trigger some things that are good for us in the spirit realm, but on a neuropsychological level, it helps us to be more balanced, to it helps the chemicals to you know recalibrate so that we're not just people who are frustrated all the time. And so this means that we genuinely give thanks to the Lord for, for all the good that's in our life. And there, there, there are certain times where I'll go and, and I'll just remember the depths from where God has taken me. And I'll just ponder for a few minutes and I'll say, Father, I'm just, you know, I remember when, when I was a sinner, you know, I was so far from the Lord. And I remember how wicked of a person and just how unkind and unloving and all these things. I'll think on that for a moment, but then I'll, I'll quickly pivot and I'll say, but Father, thank you so much that you have taken me from the depths of that pit and you have set me in heavenly places. Thank you, Father, for your salvation. Thank you for the call of God on my life. I give thanks for my wife and the specific attributes that my wife has that, that you know, just make us so compatible in our life and in our marriage. I thank God for each of my children. I thank God that I have health, even though you know, other things may not be going really well. I thank God that he's given me favor and set me in a good church family. I thank God that I'm, a, I'm an American. I thank God that I was exposed to the gospel. Just on and on and on again, I I am going to specifically dwell on things that produce gratitude in my heart, and I'm going to express those in an attitude of praise and worship. This is what Paul said to the uh, church at Thessalonica. He said, rejoice always, praying without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God for your life. So Paul here to the to the Thessalonians, he's just echoing what he's saying in Philippi. He's saying, listen, keep praying, keep praying, keep taking your cares to the Lord, but do it with an attitude of thanksgiving and not just taking your burdens to the Lord. That's okay to do, but don't let that be all you do. Show the other side that, that you are mature enough to understand all the good things that God has brought into your life. And so it looks like really casting your cares, but it also looks like truly giving thanks. And number three, and finally, this means really believing that God will work all things out for your good. We remember in Romans chapter eight, verse 28, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and have been, uh, have been called according to his purpose. Again, it's not that we give thanks to God for all things. Um, you know, I'm sure that my sister and her husband were not giving thanks that their daughter was in a horrible car accident, okay? But they do trust and understand that the Lord is sovereign enough and he is caring enough and he is father enough that he's gonna take a really bad situation and he's gonna turn it for their good because they love him and they have been called according to his purpose. I remember when my wife and I lived in Panama City. We lived in um, a house that was just, we never should have bought the house to begin with. Um, looking back on it, even my wife, there were times where she said, I, I knew this was not the will of God, but I was just so desperate to get our family in a home that you know, we, we kind of, we jumped too quickly. 
And so we had this home and it was in a horrible area of town. The, the second or third day that, that we had bought the home, we were cleaning up different things. I was in the, the shower. They had like a private shower in the, um, in the master bedroom. And I went in there, there was a tile floor, but the, floor, the, the house was off grade. And I was like bleaching the shower and all this kind of stuff. And in a split second, the floor collapsed and I fell through the floor. And like I was standing on, on dirt and, you know, all the sunlight was blazing through and dust um, was coming up. We ended up having a mice uh, issue in the house. There were homeless people that would just show up on our front porch and we had little ones. Um, we literally, during that season of time, uh, we, were, we were about as broke as broke get. Um, we were in ministry. We knew God had called us where, you know, we were. So we wanted to be faithful, but, but we couldn't rub, you know, two dimes together. We were paying our electric bill on a credit card. We were eating ramen, you know, four or five nights a week. It was a really tough situation for us. There were times where we were in that house two or three years. There were times I just couldn't understand, Lord, why did we end up here and all this kind of thing? And at the end of the situation, I remember we ended up selling the house and God had, had done a work in us, just keeping you know, our hearts humble and dependent on him. But when we ended up selling the house, we sold the house for a substantial amount more than what we had bought it for. And that enabled us to pay off all of our debt, all of our electric bills that we had put on a credit card. God had enabled us to, to pay off our vehicle, I think it was. And there were so many things that even though, you know, in that moment we weren't in the will of God, I don't believe. And even though it was a crummy situation and a crummy house, because we love God and we we're called according to his purpose, in the end, he brought really, really good out of that for our good. And so I'm really thankful that God is so sovereign and he can work all those things for us. And so Paul, this is what he's saying. He's saying, listen, there's gotta be an element of thanksgiving. There's gotta be an element of, yeah, here are my honest burdens that I'm bringing to the Lord. But there's also gotta be this faith where we believe, God, you are going to protect my children. God, you're going to you know, uh, bring healing to my life. You're going to do all these things. And if you don't, you're still gonna bring good from the situation. We've gotta believe that. And this is what Paul says when we put those things into action. This is what he says. He says, and when you have done those things, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And so I want to encourage you uh, tonight, uh, today as we, we end this session together, I want to encourage you to partner with God in prayer. Be, be oh so ever honest with your burdens that are weighing on you. But then make sure you make room to give thanks and gratitude and praise to the living God. And make sure all of that is wrapped up with the faith to believe that God's gonna do something that's better than what we could possibly imagine as he grants us his peace.